And turn with me uh, to the book of Psalms. The book of Psalms and chapter number 97. Psalms and chapter number 97. Psalm 97. I'm going to preach a message this morning, and if you want to misunderstand pastor, this would be a great message for you to misunderstand pastor. But I hope when I say something that you don't like, that you don't tune me out, but that you'll listen all the way through. If somebody wants to criticize pastor, this would be a good message to listen to. And I'm sure they could find reason to criticize. Why in the world anyone would criticize someone as nice as me, I don't understand. Let me switch this over here. But if you wanted to, this might be the morning to do it. And so uh, I'm saying that because I'm not hiding behind a bush. I hope and trust to be plain spoken this morning. And so uh, I want you to uh, uh, stand with me out of respect for the Word of God. In Psalm 97, verse number 10, read one verse with me out loud. And uh, give me just a little bit more, if you would. My uh, voice is kind of like my brother's down here. It's not quite what it usually is, but it's certainly better than his. And... uh, (laughs) But Psalm 97, read aloud with me, verse number 10, please. Ready? Ye that love the Lord hate evil. He preserveth the souls of his saints. He delivereth them out of the hand of the wicked. Notice that first phrase. Ye that love the Lord hate evil. Now, let me tell you what he's not saying. He's not saying if you love the Lord, you ought to hate evil. He's saying, if you love the Lord, you do hate evil. He says, ye that love the Lord, hate evil. Not you ought to hate evil, not you should hate evil. It says you hate evil. If you love the Lord, you automatically hate evil. That's what he's saying. I want to speak to you on the subject this morning, the measure of our love. The measure of our love. Heavenly Father, through the power of the Holy Spirit, will you help me to communicate thy truth to these thy people. May believers be strengthened. May those curious about Christianity, curious about Christ, curious about salvation here today, but yet not settled in their soul that they're born again, let this be the day of their salvation. Let those whose commitment to Christ, maybe they're saved, But they're sliding back. They're going the wrong direction. May there be some resolve burned deep in their hearts this morning through the preaching of the Word of God. And may our love for you grow in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, and you may be seated. I read to you a New Testament verse. Let love be without dissimulation. Abhor. That which is evil. Cleave to that which is good. This is both an Old Testament and a New Testament principle. Love ought to be not watered down. Ought to be genuine, sincere, and pure. And to be so, it requires an abhorrence as the flip side of that love. 
You cannot have hot if you don't have cold. You can't have up if you don't have down. You can't have love if you don't have a measure of hate commensurate with that love. Ye that love the Lord hate evil. Ye that love the Lord hate evil. Probably 15 years ago, maybe longer, I did a a graduation service in one of our public school, uh, middle schools. I'm sorry, I think it was fifth grade. It was elementary school, fifth grade. And um, and, uh, and that was... I was pleased to be able to go in and and, uh, and speak in that, uh, have that opportunity. And I don't frequent the halls of the public school much at all. But I did. And uh, it's at least 15 years ago, it might have been longer. But I was struck by the words that I saw on the walls of that school. And uh, diversity. Can I tell you something, dear friend? Do you know what diversity means? Different. It means different. You know what different is? It's just different. Chocolate is not vanilla. Right? Listen to me. Romans chapter 1 describes when a society goes down. To total depravity. And on the way down, they come up with their own code of righteousness. Now that's to the exclusion of God's righteousness. Do you understand? In order to pretend that we're moral, if we're going to reject God's definition of morality, then we've got to come up with our own definition of morality. See, we're good people because we believe in diversity. Huh? How many of you know there's a difference between a dog and a cat? Okay. That's, a, that's, pretty, that's pretty apparent, right? Look at me. That is not a moral value. There's nothing intrinsically right or wrong about being different. We're God's children. We ought to treat everybody with kindness and respect and honor. The Bible says we should respect and honor all men. Now when you, listen, when you begin to reject God's moral code of holiness and purity and separation unto God, And you begin to observe the prohibitions of this Bible. Touch not the unclean thing. Look not on the wine when it's red, when it moves itself aright in the cup. Thou shalt not bear false witness. Thou shalt not covet. Thou shalt not commit. There's morals for you, dear friend. The Ten Commandments used to be on the walls of our schools. But now then, we have this this made-up idea that somehow we're morally superior Because we celebrate diversity. Now that was 15 to 20 years ago. Well, we have now seen where that underlying thought has taken us. That underlying thought has moved from just, we're different, duh. 
two, we should celebrate differences and under the caption of difference is now in subpoints every kind of immoral perversion and God-hating principle that you could possibly imagine. But we're diverse. We're inclusive. Let me tell you something. Do you know what Paul said in the book of Galatians makes the gospel of Jesus Christ offensive? There is one aspect to the gospel that makes the gospel of Christ offensive. Listen to me very carefully. Paul is writing to the Galatians. He said, you fell from the doctrine of grace. Now, people who don't read the Bible <laughs> turn that around to teach the opposite. But Paul said, I taught you grace. You've fallen from grace because you have added a finer point of the law as a requirement for salvation. And he said, when you did that, you uh, removed the offense of the gospel. So the offense of the gospel is the exclusivity of the gospel. Look, the world doesn't get nervous when you talk about God. And much of the world doesn't get too nervous when you say Jesus saves. But when you say Jesus alone saves, now you got to fight on your hands. It's the exclusivity of the gospel. It's not that people say Jesus, uh, uh, Jesus is, uh, is a wonderful example. Jesus is a great teacher. Listen, Jesus Christ is the only way to the Father. John 14, verse number 6. And so what the world, the world in rejecting morality, kicked the Bible out of our schools, kicked prayer out of our schools, started passing out condoms in our schools, and all kinds of hellishness. And, but we still got to have some, some, something to show that we're, 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 uh, we're still moral, we're, we're still good. Now, I'm not talking about individuals. Understand, some of our finest members are in the school system, and thank God for the salt and light. I'm talking about the principles being promoted. The idea that somehow I am, I am, I'm a good good person because I, I believe in inclusion I believe in uh, I believe in uh, diversity I know this is not politically correct and as I mentioned in the outset if you want to get upset here's a fine time for you to get upset but if you'll listen to your pastor it, God's truth will help you today listen to me my dear friend God <laughs> Heaven is an exclusive club. And if you're not born again, you don't get in. Well, I was a good person. You don't get in. I believed in Muhammad. You don't get in. I confessed my sin to a priest. You don't get in. I lived a good life. You don't get in. I was a Baptist preacher, a Baptist deacon. I got baptized in the Baptist church. You don't get in. You don't get in for any of those reasons. You get in because you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, shed blood, death, burial, and resurrection as your only hope to go to heaven. And that's the exclusivity of the gospel. It's not Jesus and Buddha. It's Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. It's not Jesus and your good works. It's Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. It's not faith in Jesus to save you and faith in yourself to keep it. It's faith in Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. That's the exclusivity of the gospel. And that's what makes it offensive to a world that's in rebellion against God. Our text says, if you love the Lord, you hate evil. Let me make some statements. Number one, love 
is not. I'm going to give you some things. Love is not apathy. Love is not apathy. I don't care what you do. We hear a lot of that. Political people love to say that. Well, I don't care what you do in your public life, uh, private life. God does. God does. And as a child of God, I do. Yes. Love is not uh, apathetic. Love is not tolerance. We hear all about tolerance today. It's one of those buzzwords. We've abandoned the righteousness of God. We go about to make our own righteousness. We think we're righteous because we're tolerant. I'm what, Brother Hamilton, stand up here for just a minute. I'm going to punch you in the nose and give you a, and give you a bloody nose. Now, if he, if he is loving, he will tolerate this. All right, here we go. It's, that is stuff and nonsense. That somehow, thank you, by somehow, we ought to put up with anything and everything from anybody and everybody, and somehow that's loving. That is not love. You try to punch one of my uh, girls, you try to punch my wife, and I will show you intolerance. And I just got news for you. That right there, life in the hospital. That right there, sudden death. You're so intolerant, you have no idea. Love is not inclusion. Love, by definition, is exclusion. When I got married 30 years ago, I stood at the altar, and my dad gave us the vows, and we said those vows. And this vow went something like this. I take thee, sweetheart, stand for just a minute. Will you have this woman to be your lawfully wedded wife? You love her, honor and keep her in sickness and health and poverty and wealth. And forsaking all others, keep thee only unto her so long as you both shall live. Well, that's not very inclusive. Exactly. It's love. And love is exclusive. Love is a commitment. Thank you. Be seated. The Bible tells us in these last days that men will call good evil and evil good. And we see it on the evening news every day. Love is not inclusion. Now, if by, if you want to use that word, that's, that's not a bad word. If by inclusion you mean, hey, I want you to be a part. You're here, man, we want you to be a part. Hey, we want to fellowship, you know. And, and, and we don't care if you're ugly or not. Come on, you can be a part. That's a good way to use that word. Amen. You come to church, everybody ought to be welcome at church. Amen. Broken people need church. Amen. Years ago, 72-year-old man came to our church in the old auditorium over there. He has his 27-year-old granddaughter with him. And they filled out a guest card. And I went and visited him and followed up on him in the apartment. And I said, hey, glad you came and so forth. And introduced myself and this and that. The man said, well, you need to know something. He said, this is not my granddaughter. He said, this is my girlfriend. I said, oh. He said, uh, he said, uh, he said uh, I'm a Christian counselor. He said, my wife and I were married. It was 50 or 51, 52. It was 50 years or more. I don't remember the number exactly, but it was over 50 years, at least 50 years. He said, my wife and I were married, we'll say 50 years. He said, we were counseling, and he said, I just, I just fell in love. 
uh, with this woman here, and I just know God put that love in my heart for her. And he said, you know, it was heartbreaking. I didn't want to, but I had to leave my wife. And, 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 <laughs> and then he asked me this question. He said, I have a question for you. I said, okay. He said, would we be welcome at your church? I said, sir, everybody is welcome at our church. I said, but I'm not going to change what I preach because you're there. I don't know why they didn't come back. Uh, now, if, if by inclusion you mean an open heart, a warm heart, and, and a desire to, 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 to show the love of Christ to others, yeah, great. But if by inclusion you mean that you should open up your mind to every filthy, wicked, perverted, deceitful idea that's being promulgated upon this society today, brother, that is an upside-down definition of inclusion. Love is not apathy. Love is not inclusion. Love is not passivism. I don't care what they whatever do in private. Love is not, certainly not surrender. The mainline denominations are capitulating to the most filthy, godless perversion. Nations, including Sodom and Gomorrah, were burned by fire from heaven and the judgment of God. God still feels about sin the way He feels about sin today. The mainline denominations, many of whom used to preach a gospel of grace, are capitulating to the world's cries for inclusion, tolerance, etc. Romans 10 verse 3 says they go about creating their own righteousness. We have reared a generation teaching them that there are no absolute truths. That your truth and my truth and and, and, and what you see is right and what I see is right. And they have tried to erase the absolutes of the Ten Commandments, the black and white, right and wrong that we find in this book right here. May I suggest to you, dear friend, have you ever truly imagined a world where there are no absolute truths? For if there are no absolute truths, then there are no absolute lies. You can't have a truth without a lie. If everyone's truth is as valid as anyone else's truth, then guess what? There is, if there are no absolute truth, there are no lies. There's no good, there's no evil, there's no right and there's no wrong. Whatever you feel is right is right for you. You cannot interpret that. You must, to be intellectually honest, you must apply that principle to all areas of life. All right, let me get an example again. Stand up for me. I am feeling frustrated today. Today, I identify as frustrated. Breathe in, breathe out. It's okay. Today, I identify as frustrated. And so, uh, have you have you ever felt frustrated? Occasionally. You have? Okay. And sometimes you're frustrated, you roll your eyes? Occasionally. Okay. And sometimes when you're frustrated, you uh, maybe like that a little bit. All right, maybe tap your foot real fast like that. Well, you know, when I, when, I, when I have the inner feelings of frustration, what I do is I punch people in the nose, you see. And I, I go to tall buildings and I throw kittens off of tall buildings. That's the way I express myself. You say, that's ridiculous. And you're laughing because it is ridiculous. And it's no more ridiculous for someone to say, I have a right 
to do perverted things because of how I feel inside. My Bible says the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked who could know it. There's a book that gives us a standard of right and wrong. There's a book that gives us a standard of truth and righteousness. And you can buck up against that truth and you can buck up against God's uh, uh, standard of righteousness. But buddy, you won't break the standard. The standard will break you. Love is not apathy. Number two, the measure of our love is the measure of our hate. The measure of our love is the measure of our hate. Love is hate turned inside out. Again, a degree of hot can only be hot if it has a corresponding opposite degree of cold. You can't go high unless there's a low. You understand this? You must have a... Somebody says, I love my flower garden. You love your flower garden to the degree you hate the weeds in your flower garden. To that, to the degree you hate that which would hurt or hinder or defile or destroy that which you say you love, your love can be viewed, your, your love can be measured by the degree to which you hate that which would destroy the object of your love. Again, for my own children, if I were to say, I love my children, and, I, and one day I, 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 my children are outside and some stranger pulls up in, in, in our front yard uh, uh, and, and, uh, and he walks up to my children in the front yard and just starts punching their face in, and I say, oh, that's unfortunate. <laughs> would you call that love or not? No. I tell you, what would happen if I loved my children? I'd go into an absolute rage. I would rush to their defense. I wouldn't say, fellas, if you don't mind, if you would please, if you could stop beating my children's face in, I would really appreciate that. We are living in such an upside down society now that people who rise to the defense of others are now being criminalized. The measure of our love is the measure of our hate. As a preacher of the gospel of Jesus Christ, I am called, Leviticus 3.10, to put a difference between the holy and the unholy, between the clean and the unclean. It's my job, Ezekiel 44.23, to put a difference between the profane and, 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 and the unholy the, and, and to discern between that which is clean and unclean. It's my job, Malachi 3, 18, to discern between the righteous and the wicked, between him that serveth God and serveth not God. Listen, you ought not walk, if you go to a good church, you won't walk out scratching your head wondering what the preacher was talking about. You'll walk out saying, well, I pretty much got what he's saying today. That's, that's the job of God's men of old and God's men of today. You say, well, Pastor, I just don't, I, I just don't, uh, I, I, I think we ought to love. Yes, we ought to love. We ought to love. But you, you, listen to me, you cannot have a God who loves if you don't have a God who hates. And this fake righteousness that's being promoted in society today by unbelieving atheists, God-hating atheists, want to use our scripture and our Bible that talks about the love of God, but ignore what our Bible has to say about the things that God hates. And may I say this? This philosophy is 
everywhere and is creeping even into the minds of God's people. The Bible says that if you fear God, you will hate what God hates. Proverbs 8, 13. God hates evil, pride, and arrogancy. Psalm 13, 5. God hates lying lips. Turn to Proverbs chapter 6. Let me, let me, let me. This is but one list in the Bible. This is not an all-inclusive list. (laughs) But nonetheless, it's a list. Proverbs 6, verse 16. Solomon, of course, wrote and compiled these Proverbs. And he gives a list of his, to his son of things that God hates. These six things doth the Lord hate. Yea, seven are an abomination unto him. It's like you, Dad, when you say, let me teach you, I got three things, said you, boy, no, let's make it four. <laughs> These six things doth the Lord hate. Yea, seven are an abomination unto him. Number one, a proud look. Number two, a lying tongue. Number three, hands that shed innocent blood. Number four, a heart that deviseth wicked imagination. Number five, feet that be swift in running to mischief. Six, a false witness that speaketh lies. And number seven, he that soweth discord among the brethren. Listen to me. Our God who loves is a God who also hates. The Bible tells us in Amos chapter 5, verse number 15, hate the evil and love the good. The Bible tells us in Matthew 6, verse 24, no man can serve two masters. He's talking about God and money, the dollar bill, which is the God of our nation, a, 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 a love for pleasure facilitated by the dollar bill. Uh, uh, no man can serve two masters. He either hate the one and love the other or love the one and hate the other. Uh, the Bible tells us that God in Deuteronomy 7, verses 25 through 26, hate graven images. He detests them according to the passage. He abhors them. In Psalm 103, 101 verse 3, the Bible tells us that uh, uh, he hates the work of them that turn aside. He hates the work of them that turn aside. Do you remember when Sunday used to be known as the Lord's Day? Do you remember that? Do you remember Monday night football? Saturday football. Do you remember that? The Bible said God hates the work of them that turn aside, distract. Let me tell you something, dear friend. There, in, in our country, in this prosperous country in which we live, Sunday, which used to be the Lord's Day, used to be a day dedicated to the Lord. That's not like the Sabbath of old as, as it was for the, uh, the nation of Israel. That was a sign unique to them. But Jesus rose on the first day of the week. The disciples gathered, the first church gathered on the first day of the week. Jesus in his resurrected body showed up for church on Sunday night. On Sunday night. On Sunday, on Sunday night. Jesus on Sunday, Jesus on Sunday night showed up for church. Thomas wasn't there. He was watching a ball game. He heard about the service, but he showed up the next week. Amen. And Jesus showed up too. Amen. 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 Listen, I hate the work of them that turn aside. 
The more you love the work of God and the things of God, the more distaste you will have for the things of this world that are not intrinsically evil in and of themselves, but the things that distract us from the most important thing. And you listen to me carefully. You can fill your life with good things and those things become wrong when they take the place of the best things in your life. This world, by and large, Christian people, by and large, today, that are not in the house of God, are not necessarily out there doing something evil, doing something wrong. They're just not doing the good that God intended for them to do. And that which competes with such, the Bible says that God hates it. Hold on to your seats. Psalm 26, 5. God says, I have hated the congregation of evildoers. And will not sit with the wicked. In Psalm 31, 6, he says, I have hated them that regard lying vanities. He says in Psalm 139, 21, I hate... No, turn there. Turn, turn to Psalm 139. This is David speaking. Psalm 139. This is David speaking. Our kids sing several of these verses of beautiful. Verse 17, How precious also are thy thoughts unto me, O God. How great is the sum of them. If I should count them, they are more in number than the sands. When I wake, I am still with thee. Psalm 139, 19, Surely thou wilt slay the wicked, O God. Depart from me, therefore, ye bloody men. Get away from me, for they speak against thee wickedly. This is David says, they speak against thee, God, wickedly. And thine, speaking of God's enemies, take thy name in vain. And then David says, do not I hate them, O Lord, that hate thee. And am not I grieved with those that rise up against thee. Look at it. I hate them with perfect hatred. I count them, your enemies, God, I count them mine enemies. Look at me. If you come as an enemy to my family, to my wife, if you hate her, guess what? I automatically hate you. (gasps) Do you understand our own Christianity is being watered down by these philosophies? I submit to you again that the measure of our love can be determined by the measure of our hate. If you tell me you love God and you don't hate the things that God hates, I question your love. The measure of our love is the measure of our hate. God hates in Proverbs 6, 19, He that soweth discord among the brethren. Leviticus 20, 23, I abhorred them. Leviticus 26, 29, and 30, uh, he said, my soul shall abhor you. Uh, you go back and read uh, 18, 19, 20, and those chapters leading up, he's talking about, he's talking about, uh, 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 I won't get into it. It's, it's disgusting and sick. Leviticus is very specific and very particular, but it's debauchery is what it is. And God says those uh, 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 who practice such, I shall abhor you. Psalm 10 verse 3, whom the Lord abhorreth. Psalm 78 59, uh, God is wroth and he greatly abhorred Israel. 
his own nation. The same in Proverbs 22, 14. The same in Psalm 5, 4 through 6. God hated all workers of iniquity. Listen to me. Somehow we have dumbed down Christianity. We have dumbed down the love of God by, by getting infected with this baloney, diversity, inclusion, everything goes, uh, don't offend anybody, don't call out sin. Listen to me, my friend. Jesus Christ shed His precious blood on the cross for sin. And we're not to muddy coddle sin. We're not to rub shoulders with sin. We're to despise it. We're to hate it with everything that's in us. This old world wants us to cozy up and keep our mouths shut while that debauchery and that filth and wickedness spreads across our land. They're fighting now to make it illegal for parents to say, no, you can't teach that garbage uh, to my children. They want to make you a criminal and the stinking pedophiles and perverts who want the minds of our kids, they want them to be exalted. I got news for you, my dear friend. Listen to me. If you love God, you hate evil. And you show me your disgust with sin and those who promote it, and I'll show you the measure of your love for God. Number three, to love God is to love what He loves and hates what He hates. To love God is to love what He loves and hate what He hates. Turn to Psalm 119. The chapter on... The whole chapter is about the Word of God. The passion of the psalmist for the Word of God is in in, in just about every single verse. Follow with me quickly. Psalm 119, look at verse 14. I have rejoiced in that testimony. Eight words, seven words for, excuse me, eight words for the Bible. In Psalm 119, the law, testimonies, ways, precepts, statutes, commandments, judgments, and and the word. He says, I rejoiced in thy testimonies. He said, verse 15, I have respect unto thy ways. Verse 16, I delight in thy statutes. He said, verse 24, thy testimonies are my delight. He says in uh, in uh, 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 verse number 35, the end of verse 35, uh, commandments are my delight. He said, verse 40, I have longed after thy precepts. Uh, he says in verse 47, I delight myself in thy commandments, which I've loved. Verse 48, my hands also will I, uh, I lift up unto thy commandments, which I have loved. Look at verse 53. Horror hath taken hold upon me because of the wicked that forsake thy law. The same psalmist who wrote of his passion for truth, who wrote of his passion for God's testimonies and God's laws and God's words, looks at the wicked and says, I am horrified by what I see. We find over in verse 69 of the psalm, the proud have forged a lie against me, but I will keep thy precepts with my whole heart. Seventy, their heart is as fat as grease, but I delight in thy law. Seventy-seven, let thy tender mercies come unto me that I may live, for thy law is my delight. Verse 97, oh, how love I thy law. 105, through thy precepts I get understanding. Therefore, I hate every false Way. 
Let me submit to you. I hate the false gospel of Roman Catholicism that teaches salvation by works and, and, and putting a wafer on your mouth and swallowing a wafer and, and, and praying, uh, confessing your sins to a priest and praying to the Virgin Mary. I hate every false way. I hate the false way of the Jehovah Witnesses who deny the deity of Jesus Christ. I hate the false way of the Mormon church who believes that you are a spiritual baby and you can become a god if you're a good little Mormon. I, I hate every false way. I hate the false way of the Muslim crowd who says that the latest prophet is Muhammad and Muhammad's teaching are in complete contradistinction to that of Jesus Christ. I hate every false way. Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. And it's to the degree you love the good news of Jesus Christ, you will hate every false way. Verse 113, I hate vain thoughts, but thy law do I love. To love God is to love what He loves and hate what He hates. Number four, and lastly, to love the enemies of God is to bring God's wrath upon us. Turn to Second Chronicles chapter 19. It's in the Old Testament. It's the written chronicles of the kings of Israel. I say it to you again. To love the enemies of God is to bring God's wrath upon us. In Second Chronicles 19, verse 1, we read these words. And Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, returned to his house in peace to Jerusalem. And Jehu, the son of Hanani the seer, went out to meet him and said to King Jehoshaphat, Shouldst thou help the ungodly and love them that hate the Lord? Therefore, because you have done just that, is wrath upon thee from before the Lord. Look at me. Jehoshaphat was a good king. He made an alliance with Ahab, who was a godless, idolatrous bell worshiper. His wife Jezebel, still her name is a, 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 a grievous name, even in our culture these many, many centuries later. Ahab and Joshua, Jehoshaphat, had no business in fellowship. Jehoshaphat was God-fearing. Ahab was godless. But they had a common goal. Let's go up together. Let's take Ramoth Gilead. Let's work together. And we can conquer this city. And it will be beneficial both to your nation and to mine. And Jehoshaphat, to his, uh, to, to his demise, made an alliance with Ahab. Ahab would be killed in that battle. God took Ahab out of this world in that battle. And it may seem after the battle that Jehoshaphat survived, but listen to me very carefully. Let me tell you who didn't survive. Is Ahab's daughter, Athaliah, who married Jehoshaphat's son. When you and I, listen to me, when you and I make alliances with the world, the New Testament said to be a friend of the world is to be the enemy of God. 
To be the friend of the world is to be the enemy of God. And the great price was paid in the next generation. Jehoshaphat's son married Ahab and Jezebel's daughter. Athaliah is one of the most notorious figures in all of the scripture. When she came to power as queen, she did so by killing all of the seed royal. Now listen to me carefully. We're talking about what Hitler did when he tried to destroy the Jews. We're talking about what Herod did in the slaughter of the innocents when Jesus Christ was just a little tyke and he killed all the little male babies two years and younger. It was satanically inspired. He was trying to destroy the seed from which the Messiah would come so he could not bring salvation to the world. Athaliah was probably demon-possessed. She was satanic in her worship. In Baal worship, included human sacrifice. It it, included It included every kind of perversion you could possibly imagine under the name of religion. And she married Jehoshaphat's boy because dads linked up to each other. A godly man, a God-fearing man, and a godless man. And in their company, their children met. And Athaliah almost succeeded in snuffing out the messianic line except that one little baby boy. That's how close it got. One little baby boy was scooped up by a priest and his wife and hid for six years in the house of God. And were it not for that priest and his wife, little Josiah would have been killed and the messianic line cut off. Let me tell you something, my dear friend. It is being promoted in every aspect of our society that love is inclusion. Love is whatever you think it is. I got, I got news for you. God is love. God is love. And to what degree you are loyal to God, to that degree you will be against that which defames Him and stands against Him. Now let me submit this to you. When David said, I hate thee with a perfect hatred, he's saying, God, those are your enemies, so they're my enemies. Look at me. He is not advocating personal grievance. The New Testament makes it clear we're to honor all men and even to love our enemies, pray for them, and do them good. I'm not talking about you getting an angst at somebody and mistreating them. I'm not advocating that for one moment. But I am saying this. Our loyalty to God and His Word and our love for God should burn white hot in its intensity in our expressions of adoration and worship and love and commitment. And to the degree that it does, our hatred for sin and what's destroying our children and destroying our nation will also burn commensurately with white hot passion against it. And this so-called religious feel-good idea of tolerance is nothing more than minimizing love for truth and for God who is truth. Rise up, dear Christian friend, and learn to hate with a perfect hatred, not a personal angst, not walk around with a chip on your shoulder. Truth is, you and I ought to walk around with a love of God flowing through our hearts. But to the degree that it does, it will be burning inside of you a hatred for that which kills and destroys. Would you bow your heads, please?